Welcome back to Ever Ancient, Ever New, the podcast in which we search for the hidden gems amongst the forgotten treasures of our church. I'm Father Kyle Kowalsik, the host and pastor of St. Maximilian Colby, and I'm joined here by one of my co-workers in the, in the ministry here, uh, Brittany McCaffrey, who's our music director. Thanks for joining me, Brittany. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so Brittany and I go way back um Is well way back? I actually go <laughs> way back with your husband yeah. so I knew I knew Brittany's husband when he was just a punk 18 year old which um then when I saw him again I don't know 15 years later when you guys moved over to Epiphany where I was a uh, priest there was that long yeah I mean no. yeah yeah it was, okay. it was a long time later and I was like who is this this fine upstanding young man and who is this who is this lovely wife of his and how did he how did he win her heart so um no and so so i got to i got to be re reacquainted with kevin and got to got to know you a little bit and um and then i moved out to delano and then you guys said well if, if father's out yeah. in delano we're gonna move out to delano <laughs> no it's actually really funny because when you did move to delano you're like we'll never see him again <laughs> And here we are. Here we are. So yeah, so Kevin got a job out in this direction. And then I had an opening for um music director position. And and I just want to go on the record too, because and I think there's some rumors out there that I I stole you, but I did not steal you. I had an opening. I texted you. I said, Hey, just so you know, there's an opening in my position. And like that could mean anything, you know, like, hey, um, you know, I know some other music friends who would be open to this. And and you applied, and um, it was a good fit. And you, actually, when when you first came, I said, "Well, how about you? How about you? You sub for a mass, and it's kind of your audition mass." Do you remember? Oh yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> I obviously made such a big impression at Epiphany that you were not. <laughs> I was any good or not? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, I don't know when you played. I wasn't always looking over like who's who's playing or who's singing over there. Um, so yeah, I had you come, and then I heard I heard you sing. I was like. Oh wow, she's good. So you do you do have a beautiful, beautiful gift, a beautiful voice, and obviously well trained. And what 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 is your training? Where did where did you go to? Did you study music in school? What's your background? Well, it's really funny because everyone always everyone always comments on my voice, and that's infuriating for me. <laughs> that's the, my least trained instrument. All right, right. I've had maybe a year and a half of voice lessons, and but the rest was in piano. And so keyboard is my main, like I've been doing keyboard since I was four. Wow. No one ever comments on my keyboard playing. It's always like, wow, you have such a beautiful voice. Um. Yeah, I think, I think because like, you know, whether whether you play a C chord or I play a C chord on the piano, it sounds like it sounds like a C chord. It doesn't though. The way you finesse <laughs> the ivory. Depends on like the touch, the pedal, the tone, all the things. No. Um yeah, I began I began piano at four. And I that was just kind of my goal. I really wanted to be a concert pianist. But unfortunately, I have this thing called anxiety that prevents me from doing anything well in front of people. So I went to school for piano performance and I kind of picked up a little bit on voice just because I was in choir and people were saying, oh, you have a nice voice. You should think about maybe switching over. So I studied a little bit of voice performance in college as well, but then kind of just decided that the opera life was not for me. 
despite being there's, super dramatic. There's a song about that. The opera life is not for me. Um, and so I just kind of stuck with piano, but I didn't really, you know, I got married and did the the usual thing where you're like, oh, I actually just want to stay home and have babies. And so I didn't think that I would ever do anything with music. Mm. And so, um, and and if I recall, when you 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 were young, you made a you made a pact that you would never yeah. play music at a church. No, when I was like eight or nine, I remember my mom and I had just finished. I had just finished a recital or something. We were in the car, and my mom was talking about my future. I don't know why. Why would you talk to her kids' future at eight? Like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. She's like, "Well, what do you want to do with your life?" It's like. I'm going to be a concert pianist. And she goes, that's not feasible. That's not feasible. <laughs> Thanks, <She> goes, <laughs> Popping my bubble, crushing my dreams. Then she suggests being a church musician. I just remember as a kid being like, that sounds like the worst. Well, and I wonder, so what was what was your experience of church musician at that time? Um, an old lady behind a piano playing music that I thought was stupid. <laughs> and, and I, I was like, well, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't okay. sound that. Yeah, I was like, I would, I, that's like the lowest form of of uh, professionalism. Well, yeah, because it like so I grew up Protestant, so okay. all our church music was just very breezy and just chords and little arpeggios accompanying those chords while singers did their thing. And I was, ne- I mean, I'd never ever thought about church music. Mm. Um, ever in my life Uh, and I don't think I was actually really exposed to any good church music until I think shortly after I came back to the faith I went to a first Friday vigil and um this is the first time I remember being aware of hearing sacred music the Osolotaris Mm -hmm. and Tantum Ergo like you you were at a benediction or something yeah yeah um and I just remember feeling like my soul was <laughs> lifted slightly into heaven. Mm. It was the first time I just felt these doors fling wide open and being brought above myself mm. through this really beautiful music. And it's simple. Everyone knows Tantum Ergo. Well, I think most people know it. But I had never been yeah. aware. You know, you just like, I think a lot of people go to church without being aware of beauty. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting about the Tantum Ergo, too, is that um, out of all the things that were kind of, you know, translated in English and um, whenever, you know, like, I, I mean, there are some people who in some places, but I almost never hear it done in English, you know, because yeah. it, it's just there's something about it in, in the, the Latin. They're like, wow. Yeah, the mystery, yeah, the beauty, yeah. the otherworldliness is taken away when it's when it's brought into English. Um, I didn't even think about it being in Latin either. I just remember, oh, I just remembered, um, <laughs> I just remembered being really taken aback by something that was foreign mm. and it was very beautiful. And so that, that was back in 2017. And then, you know, I was still teaching piano at that time, really still very into classical music. I should probably mention that as a kid, um, I mean, we were we had like gospel music playing in the house all the time. So my music growing up in the house was really bad <laughs> gospel praise music. Um, 
but I had found a classical music outlet. So back when we used CDs players and headphones, oh, I, remember. I know <laughs> I would go on long walks listening to Beethoven or Mozart. And just um, I think having that foundation really helped develop my sense of what beauty is mm. um, just because their compositions are so much more complex. Like the ear is trained to listen to more complexity. Mm. Um so going that it is I mean that that's a that's a really great point. And I did not I did not grow up with much of a musical um you know a household. My dad is completely deaf, so he can't sing at all, you know. Your, um, your your dad was deaf. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's deaf. Oh. He had a hearing aid. You could read lips and you know hear oh. a tiny bit, but yeah, he couldn't he couldn't hold a note. He would sing a, a song for us when we go to bed that was like 10 little monkeys jumping in the bed. And yep. it's totally just like, you know, one one pitch or something, you know, <laughs> but so he wasn't musical. My mom's not very musical, um, you know. Yeah. So there's no there's no real music in my family. I grew up going to a church that was charismatic parish, you know, so it was uh, guitar and, and stuff like this. And um, not not bad. I mean, it was, it was, it was well done but uh not a not a high liturgical experience and this is something that later in life i I started like i have obviously now you know like well i've i've written musicals and i've written written songs and i sing a lot and um uh, i i uh led the chant scola at the seminary and all these things but that was that was something that i think we don't think about that um beethoven is objectively superior to the beatles yes <laughs> right it's yeah. it's not just a matter of taste like well i like this and it's like well you can you can subjectively like that better but musically like musically artistically beethoven is superior mm -hmm. and um you know in in the same way that the mona lisa is superior to you know your your fifth graders, you know, drawing, yeah. which, which is, is cute and precious. And you might prefer to look at that because it incites more love in your heart than looking at the Mona Lisa, but nobody would ever argue that it's actually better, better. art than that. And I think that the objectivity mm -hmm. of, of beauty is something that in the, the postmodern world we've, we've lost because oh, yeah. art is just whatever I decide to call art. And what an emotion has overcome logic. So if it's, if it makes you feel good, it's better. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't actually. But so, so okay. I like, so I recently, um, I was reading something, I think it's by John Sr. And he talks about, he's like, you know what, there's certain, there's certain pieces of music that everybody should just be familiar yeah. with and certain, you know, Beethoven, Bach and Mozart. And I'm not familiar with them, but one of the things he said, he said, um, listen to the same piece of music every day for a week you should just come to my house well i mean it's it's a beautiful exercise you know it's like i was going to to hear like a, a beethoven um concerto or something at the the saint paul chamber orchestra and to prepare for it i listened to it on youtube every oh. single day yeah and it was beautiful because then you get there and you hear the different nuances mm -hmm. and it's like wow this is really exquisite it is yeah I could go so far into this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk about Beethoven. Um, but I, I do think that, that's that... that's what I think. Um, 
uh, Peter Kreeft has uh, an argument for the existence of God, and it's just, I forget if it's Beethoven or Bach, but it, it just goes, Beethoven's music. Yeah. That's it. Oh, yeah. It, it proves God's existence. Well, and to further his point, it actually did in my life because when, I mean, I grew up in a very chaotic household, but Beethoven and you know, Mozart and Haydn and Bach, all those composers really opened a world of beauty for me when there was very little. Mm. And, you know, coming from a Christian household, but it's also super chaotic and like contrary to Christian belief, mm. it's very confusing. And so like, how do you find God in the chaos? And so the Lord bringing or introducing me to this music, and I really think it, that was such a gift from him to me because it brought me out of ugliness um and and gave me just this path um to him to mm, jesus yeah um and so having this background in classical music i didn't think was going to prove to be very useful you know but um going becoming a church musician by force <laughs> um opened my eyes like oh no i actually have a really good sense of what is beautiful and what is not. Um, and so uh, shortly after coming back to the faith and we we moved to Minnesota from Texas and um, the music director at Epiphany needed a sub occasionally. And I was like, sure, sure, I will sub for you because my husband was a teacher and we needed money. <laughs> so I really agreed to do this like on, on the basis of like, we need this extra income. And I had no idea that the Lord was going to turn this into an actual thing for me, you know, never in my life would I have, I have thought like, oh yeah, I'm a church musician. But I started, you know, subbing occasionally and just very quickly realized, oh, this music is bad, mm. you know, <laughs> and just, and I will never forget. I mean, I'm just a sub, right? Like, you know, not okay. I became more and more frequent. But the cantors would always have to deal with my, I hate this hymn, let's not do this. And just realizing like, oh, I'm actually not in the position to say we can't do this hymn. So, so many times I would have to do this terrible music and offer it up as a sacrifice. Um, and when when you say terrible music oh, or like not a good hymn, yeah. what what do you mean? Again, because we're talking about the objectivity. Like, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean like doesn't necessarily mean words are bad or it's like it's a bad bad song but like objectively what, what we're doing in the liturgy what do you mean by this isn't this isn't a good a so good music is always really hard to pinpoint with vocabulary hmm. because you can't summarize music with words it's it's an outside experience it either can elevate you to the heavens or bring you to the depths of the earth mm mm-hmm and so oh that i mean that's i mean like think of like your your rave music or i mean like yeah. that's what you mean it's like it can it, be very base and, and carnal right. and you know and it, it it arouses my passions yes and that yeah that's actually what sacred music in particular isn't isn't trying to do like no. we're, we're not trying to arouse it like our my passions are messed up i don't <laughs> I, I need to go somewhere where my passions can stay out of this right or have your passions raised to yeah. a high, the higher level, yeah. you know, let, let it be focused on, 
on the Lord and not the self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think the music that I was playing, you know, just very common hymns in church, just focused so much on the self, mm -hmm. not the feeling. You know, it wasn't, it, it didn't lift anyone up. And I, and I remember specifically asking several people who loved these hymns, like on Eagle's Wings or Here I Am, Lord, or, um, uh, what's the one you raise and I will raise you up. Mm -hmm. I am the bread of life. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> I can't say too much publicly about this, but when I asked my cantors or um, parishioners about why they like this music, because I was genuinely curious because I listened to it thinking this shouldn't be in the mass. This doesn't sound like something that should be a part of one of the greatest events that's happening on the earth, like the greatest event that's happening on mm -hmm. the earth. Um, and I also... I also try to think too, like what, when you're on Calvary and you see Jesus crucified, bleeding to death, is this the kind of music you want being played during that moment? You know? Um, but what all of these people were saying is that, oh, it just makes me feel good. It reminds me of my childhood. I have a lot of nostalgia. Yeah. It's, and, it's yeah. sentimental. It's very, that's what the good word, very sentimental. Yeah. And, and you know, and like, again, there's, there's a time and place for, for sentimentality. Um, Romano Gardini, um, one of the priests who uh, taught uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, um, he was he was kind of the he was he was quite the he wrote a lot about the liturgy and one of the things he said in in one of his books was you know the liturgy has no place for sentimentality mm -hmm. and and again it's sentimentality is a passion it's an it's an emotion and we're trying to rise above that mm -hmm. and so if if i'm going in and like ooh this makes this makes me feel good this makes me go back to my childhood like i don't know i don't want to go back to my childhood i want to go to the foot of the cross i want to go right. to calvary i want to i want to go to heaven um then there can be a, a danger there yeah. um that that i'm being taken out of so this is one of the things that the musical documents of the church talk about Music is more fitting the more closely aligned it is with the sacred action at the altar. Mm -hmm. So the more that it points us to what's happening, yeah. the more sacred it is. And so if if the music is drawing me into the music, well, that's a problem. Yeah. You know, you can think of a musical soundtrack in a in a movie and if if you were like watching a movie and it's really dramatic and then a song came on <laughs> yeah, and then it's, like it's Barbie girl in the background. Right. And it's like it's like a silly song yeah. and you start laughing, like, well, you just ruined the yeah. that music was not fitting to that action. Right. Um, but a, a good a good soundtrack would be one that so for instance, I went I went to the um uh, orchestra hall will do these um movies with a live orchestra. And uh I, I went I've gone to this twice now with a priest friend of mine and both times we went to music movies that like you wouldn't think were known for like great orchestral music princess bride yeah and home alone but but they were they were but because because the music is so good yeah you never thought about it it just fits perfectly what's going on you say wow and then now I see I see a bunch of violinists and cellos playing it. I'm like, wow, that's actually some beautiful music. Yeah. Uh, but I never thought of it. And that that is, should actually be the music at mass. I shouldn't even I shouldn't even think about it. It should just like sweep me in mm -hmm. to the action at the altar and what's actually going on. Like you said, we're at the foot of Calvary here. Well, and the other 
the other thing that we should look at too is that music has the ability to manipulate your emotions mm. and so what you are listening to can really determine how you're feeling during an event or you know during mass during a movie or whatever mm. and so mm-hmm. i think we have to be <clears throat> have to be really careful about the music that we choose so that we're not manipulating our emotions to go deeper into ourselves. Yeah. Um, and that we choose music that does draw us closer to the Lord or or draws a draws out in us a desire to more fully worship him. Because yeah. we can't we can't fully be present at the mass if we're stuck in ourselves. Okay? Right. Yeah. And I, I think that especially because the church, the Catholic Church, like I'm required you're required to go to mass. Yeah. Well, we're, we work at the whistle. So <laughs> you people listening, you're required. We're required to go to mass. And I look out sometimes, I mean, we've had a number of deaths in the parish recently. We've been doing a number of funerals. And so I look out and see, Oh man, they're mourning, they're mourning, they're mourning. They just got married. They just got engaged. They just had a baby. So you have people in their states of life that are in totally polar opposite emotions. Mm-hmm. And it would be unfair to come and give sentimental music that makes them feel in a certain way either either drags them down to you know some somberness or that like pushes them out to you know i mean this is why you wouldn't you wouldn't sing um uh yeah yeah something that like pepsi you know you don't sing jingle bell you know even at christmas time (laughs) At my husband's old parish, they did do Rossi the Snowman. Oh no! <laughs> All things are possible. Right, and so this is that's not good liturgical right. music, and and I think that is part. I mean, you you go, and there should just be this expectation of yeah, this it's not it's not happy, it's not sad, it's not um it's not doing violence to me. It's just drawing me into yeah. the action, and and I think part of part of part of the our our growth and liturgical formation is is learning that that's what i should expect when i go to to Mm -hmm. mass um yeah i think from what i've gathered over the last several years as as a church musician is a lot of people go to mass for for themselves like what am i going to get from this and that's why there's so much complaint about what happens in the liturgy what comes out of liturgies because people are expecting to be fulfilled um, at a very base human level. And I think part of the the resolution of that problem is slowly teaching people to be lifted up out of themselves. Yeah. And music has a very incredibly powerful way of doing that, whether they like it or not, depending on what's played. You can't you can't help what music does. Like um that's it's such a it's such a mysterious gift. Uh, that the Lord gave to us through music. And you know that the Lord loves music. We always talk about, I mean, scripture is always talking about angels singing and mm-hmm. um, singing his praise. Like he, and he gave us voices uh, to, to praise him with. I think music is very close to the heart of the Lord. And so um, what I'd like to see in, in churches is, is that is beauty fulfilled. Yeah. 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 So, so my own liturgical formation. So I grew up. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't have an organ. We didn't have. You know. We didn't have any. You know, we didn't have chant. We had, we had guitars and drums, um, and uh, and there were people there who. I mean, they sincerely loved the Lord and were really praising. And I, again, there's a time and place for that. Um, now, actually, they they 
do the the mass parts they sing in latin and it's a little bit more of a, a contemporary but they but there's kind of like this even there there's this liturgical formation of no nope, this when we get to the central part of the mass it should be it should mm -hmm. be more sacred more set apart more um transcendent but that was not my that was not my growing up and then we moved away for college and for high school and college and you know your typical old lady upright piano up front um uh, music that especially for a high school or college student would never speak to them in a million years um, i remember going on retreats where they would um, sing music that you would hear on the radio and i remember being in high school and being like do they think i'm impressed by this mm -hmm. you know um so I, I don't even i'm trying to even remember when i when i even like discovered um the the beauty of of sacred music um Golly, I don't know. I don't even remember. I so when I'm in when I got to seminary, in a seminary, you know, our masses were pretty typical of like parishes in the the greater metro. You know, there it wasn't anything, wasn't anything special, it wasn't super, we didn't do a ton of Latin or Gregorian chant or anything, but we did have a scola that would sing on Saturdays. So our musician, our organist wasn't there on Saturdays. So we would do that. And I had a friend who was in it and he said, Hey, you got a good voice. You should be in it. I've always been in choir. So actually, actually that's my, my first, my introduction to sacred music was in choir class in my public high school. Wait, what were you singing in a public high school? That was sacred music. Uh, we sang, I sang, a, I, I had a solo my senior year, Ave Marie Stella. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, a Marian hymn, yeah. you know, beautiful. I mean, faint, you know, classic Marian hymn. Um, I was, I found it recently. I was listening to it and, um, and uh, there, there's only one, I think she must've taught us like, instead of saying Chaley, we said Chelly. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a little, a little bit. Our, our pronunciation was slightly off. Okay. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing that anybody's gonna, you know, a Roman, a Roman, you know, two thousand years ago would still understand. But I, yeah. <laughs> they run me through. How dare you mispronounce the purity of our language? Well, I, I was speaking liturgical Latin too. Well, at least it was liturgical. It was ecclesiastical yeah. Latin. But yeah, it was uh, Ave Maria Stella. I was like, I listened to him like, oh, not bad past me oh wait you listen to yourself singing? yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's cute so but that's that's my first like and we sang a curie we sang um uh we sang we sang a couple other other pieces um so that, that was my first time like singing beautiful um choral music i'll look back too and like i the irony that i think i was the one catholic student in my choir class and I was the one given the solo for the Ave Maria Stella. Like, oh, um, yeah, it was good. So anyway, but, you know, so I don't, know, I don't have any other sacred music experiences until seminary. And I joined the Scola and we would just do Gregorian chant. And um, the first year, my, my buddy led it. The second year, another uh, one of the deacons led it. And then the third year, there was nobody else who was really going to take it over. So of necessity, I just took it over and um and uh and actually took it took it up a notch i was able to I had some good ideas that helped us kind of simplify things and um just bring some uh, more comfortability into it and i think one of our one of our proudest moments was i i had us learn the te deum just as an ancient chant of um 
uh, praise you would sing on Sundays or feast days or uh, sometimes if you're reading um, a saint story or something, you know, when something great would happen, every, the whole town would burst out in the Te Deum. Oh, that's that's the song. So when when Bishop Cousins was ordained um, first or when he was declared named bishop, the first time he came back to the seminary, we sang it at the at the seminary mass. And then he asked us to sing it for his ordination in the cathedral. And so we got to be up in the sanctuary uh, and and chant this. Um, uh, it's beautiful. And we had some parts in it and things. And yeah, so it, it was a, that's kind of our 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 defining moment. <laughs> that's a good moment yeah but but i just i learned i learned gregorian chant a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, just started to see the beauty of it and the simplicity of it mm -hmm. i think what's what was what i liked about it too is i've always been bad at rhythm i have no no tempo no god-given tempo and and gregorian chant doesn't have a, a tempo it's free-flowing if you, you just kind of you, you just it's just like a pulse you know um but yeah, so that that was what that was what got me to start to realize the this this beauty. And then when you actually start reading the documents of the church, every document from fifteen hundred years ago up to Vatican II, and all the documents after Vatican II always say that the pride of place of music in the in the church in the Latin rite, which is what we are, mm -hmm. is Gregorian chant. Mm -hmm. And that the people should be taught and learn how to to sing certain parts in Gregorian chant, mm -hmm. and and just and then and then um, John the Paul the sixth Pope Paul the sixth had commissioned um, some mass parts that he said like I want the people to be able to say these and it's just the the simple Sanctus Sanctus the ones that we do at S A Max on on Sundays. Um, you know, so that's a that's a post-Vatican II thing, that that mass part. And I think we've we've just been doing it here for several years now. Uh, and even before I got here, we already we already knew it. Um, but we've just kind of made it, you know what? Let's not let's not get overly creative here. There's lots of mass parts, and I sit with my priest friends who complain about, oh, we're doing this terrible mass part, you know, and it's like, you know what? It's just like just like just like the our father is yeah. always the same. Mm -hmm. This should just always be the same. Yeah. Then, I, then I can really just pray. I don't have to want. I don't have to like. Oh, I hate this mass part. Or oh, I love this mass part. Or this is a little too peppy to be a mass part. Or uh, it's just yeah. I just I just know it. I sing it. I don't have to. I don't have to think. I can just enter in. And I think that's the the real beauty of Gregorian chant. Once I've learned it, um, and then there's also a virtue to just kind of I listen. I listen. There's certain parts that I just. I listen to and how, would you would you would you say something about that like how do you listen to beautiful music because you know you go to a, an orchestra a symphony yeah. you're not singing along no. well we did get i went to i went to the messiah and we did get to sing along <laughs> with that with the, the hallelujah chorus <laughs> it was pretty fun well i don't i think that we have a problem with listening now that you're asking like a way deeper question i think we have to get into but i mean with listening comes the ability to be silent. Mm. And so we've got to get into the problem of the lack of silence. Um, and, you know, I, speaking of the Minnesota orchestra, <laughs> I think a lot of orchestras are now catering to the younger generation, yeah. which is terrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're there. Um, 
the uh, so we went to we went to a concert where they did um uh a, a, a one of beethoven's last fugues mm-hmm. called the grossa fugue uh, and it's very it's one of his ugliest compositions mm. but um it's 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 full of angst you listen to it and you're like Beethoven, what's wrong with you <laughs> um but during this incredibly angsty piece they brought out break dancers oh yeah and so in the middle of all of this you're hearing and you just want to listen to the dang music and instead of just being able to listen to beethoven you got squeaky footsteps all over you've got thumps and all of that and so and i was i was i was so pissed okay say that um but I, yeah I, I turned my husband and i was like this is freaking ridiculous you can't even listen to a piece of music now without being entertained people do not know how to listen and i really think it's because we've obliterated the virtue of silence in society mm, yeah and so i think first before we teach people to listen we have to teach them how to be silent but how mm. How do you do that? You know, yeah. because we've got and and this is like the devil. So he's such a mastermind. And that's not a compliment, by the way. Um, but he he has just infiltrated our society with so much noise. Yeah, and even when you want silence, you can't get it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's it, it just seems like a bigger problem than we're able to solve. Um, I mean, I would love to teach people to be quiet and to be brought up into the music, but then they would have to learn to be still inside. Mm. But you can't learn to be still if there's noise. So, yeah. yeah, and 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 we do try to get some silence in our liturgies, and we're uncomfortable. And, and yeah, I mean, people do right, like like ah, what do, what do I what do I do? And I yeah. think, and I always say, I always say, right, like that's we need to we need to get past the uncomfortable like yeah it's going to be uncomfortable a mystery is uncomfortable and there's something that frustrates me here and and that's okay um but i think you're i think you're right i think you're onto something like just like learning to who's who's a quote i forget who it's by but like the name is pascal blaise pascal like the problem with modern man is he can't sit quietly in his own room for Mm -hmm. you know and that was hundreds of years ago you know, so it's it's not a it's new problem. problem. It's not a new right. problem. Yeah. I think it's I think it's more pervasive than it was a while ago, though. Um, I mean, they didn't have smartphones or even if you're just trying yeah. to fill up on gas, having these commercials blare at you. Well, you and know? I find I find myself just as guilty as anybody else. You know, I mean, I'm always I don't listen to a whole lot of music, but I'm always like, oh, podcast. I gotta mm-hmm. I gotta learn something. I I have time. I can be I can be learning. So I can be Productive. finishing a book or yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So one one thing that i want to i want to get to you know and so one of the things that um vatican ii talks about as far as uh, music is that music is i'll just i'll read the um i'll read the quote here uh this is from the document in vatican ii on the liturgy says the musical tradition of the universal church is a treasure of inestimable value Mm -hmm. greater even than that of any other work of any other yeah any other any other art and um that's saying a lot too that's saying a lot i mean anybody who's been to rome or france you know uh, at, like the sheer architecture yeah there. and and so what the, what the church just says like that that pales in comparison yeah. to music right. um and i mean you think of michelangelo and Raphael and all the i mean beautiful works of art uh music is is greater, greater. still mm-hmm. and 
I I don't know that there's many many you go and ask, you know, I'd love to see one of those things on this on the street. What's what's the greatest art in the Catholic Church? They'd say something like, Oh, the Sistine Chapel or, you know, this or, you know, the St. Peter's or uh, Notre Dame or um you say, what about the music? Like, no, 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 they're not, they're not known for music. You're like, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> and yeah, and you start listing off all the, it's like, yeah, but you don't, you don't do those. Those are, we don't those do are, that anymore. We don't do that right. anymore. <clears throat> and we don't build beautiful churches anymore. No. And we, but all, it all, that all went hand in hand. Right. You know, so, and actually I, I, I was reading a book on the liturgical movement written by this monk who, um, uh, and, and just he's just explaining it. He had no, it wasn't polemical or anything, but he said that ugly churches started getting built in 1910 is when he started noticing it. Oh, so yeah, the, the, back then. yeah, the ugly movement predates a lot of what we, we think of. That goes along with my theory, though, because I actually don't like music written after the 1900s. I found that it started getting more experimental, more ugly. It started, well, what happened is that you saw the uh, cultural degradation and music and art followed mm. so i think unfortunately what the uh, the job that i think artists have is to raise up society and beauty mm -hmm. and unfortunately after the 1900s what i've seen is that the artists debased themselves or they reflected they reflected instead of instead of sure. pointing to something higher they, they just said to what was happening right and and it which you know you world war one hit and all crap hit the fan but you saw such a like music changed so rapidly mm. within 50 years it was it was insane um so same with art i don't know the ugly became the norm mm. um and so that's i think uh, the frustrating part too in church music is like we have allowed the ugly into the sacred and it's kind of trying to trying to figure out how to seep in that original that original beauty the original beauty that the church has given to us for our liturgy mm. um so I guess what I would like to to see happen is, yeah, polyphony is brought back. Gregorian chant is brought back. It's, it doesn't become so foreign for people listening. I think the problem with sacred music is that it is foreign and people don't know how to listen to it mm. um, because music and art has become so simplified. It has become um, so, so, so basic. It's just become very basic. And it's easy to listen to. It's easy to look at. Um, I, had a, I lived with a, a priest who was um, who was a, a classically trained pianist before he became a priest, and and became you know he became more of a jazz musician and um, a uh, you know bands in Nashville and California, LA, you know. Um, but really, I mean, he trained at Eastman Music out in New York. Whoa. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I didn't know that either, but like you tell a, you tell a real musician that and they know what you're talking about. Yeah. But um we would have fun. We would we'd turn on like, you know, music from the 90s, you know, pop mm -hmm. pop songs and stuff and just kind of reminisce and nostalgia and you know, like yeah, we're we're cooking dinner and we're just listening to, you know, Weezer and Nirvana and and I would go, "Hey, how many Byron, how many uh how many chords are in this song?" He'd go, uh like three one two and he would just listen and he'd list off like yeah he, he can he's like there's there's three yeah uh four, four. no no it's just three and and like just the the minimalism mm -hmm. of the music um because what the music was was trying to do and he says there's a there's a science to pop music you want people to feel like they've already heard the song before they've heard it mm, yeah and that they could sing along with it before it's even over it's true you it's so predictable yeah and so that and that's actually part of the science of it whereas um you know so because it's you're trying to you're trying to make 
you're trying to make money, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Or also you just don't have the skill. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah. So like, I think, I think getting back, like, no, it's, it's art. It's art. Music should be, you know, and we have a beautiful church here at St. Max. Um, our music should be more beautiful yes. than the ceiling. Our, 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 our music should be more beautiful than the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Our music should be more beautiful than the stained glass windows. Wow. You know, and you, you said something to me recently and I'd never thought about this, but um, because I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not primarily a musician. I wouldn't call myself a musician, um, but you're a real musician. And you said that um, you started to see the whole arc of the mass mm-hmm. when, when you do it, well yep it, it becomes this whole this whole flowing picture yeah goodness um well no I, so i've always had a problem with our offertory <laughs> um but you know that uh because it's like we we yeah you've got that arc happening and and the and the pivotal pivotal moment is the eucharist mm-hmm. right and then and then we come back down and so it was like almost before that peak there would be a little bit of a um a gap. Mm. And so it wasn't this wonderful, um, overarching flow, completed flow that just was like, ah, this was a complete picture. You know, it's like, it's like if you went to a symphony and they were playing, you know, Beethoven's fifth, but then they missed, I don't know, they missed theme B or something. And then like jump to the yeah, next old, theme. Old theme B. Yeah. You do not want to miss theme B. But it just kind of reminded me of that. And so my I look at my job as a musician to keep the flow going. Mm. Um, and because if I, you know, if they're and, and like seamlessly between like, yes. okay, here's the here's the reading and then here's the song yeah. and here's the reading and here's the hallelujah. The musician connects every moment. Yeah. Um, and I just. Want... And, and, and that's all like it's all part of the same, you know, so if you have a different a different type of music here and it's like whoa yeah, we just we, yeah, we're, we we're at like a, a variety show yes i hated it <laughs> um so i i've been just kind of looking at like what my duty as a musician and i look at it as a duty too because this is the mass like i am making music for the king of heaven here it's not it's not something i take lightly at all um and so when i when i look at what my duty is in the mass to make it one complete picture you know, the music that we've been given doesn't coordinate very well, mm. especially like our hymnals. Our hymnals are a hot mess of style. Yeah. And I think that's most American hymnals. Is, oh. It's hodgepodgey. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying it's like our hymnal, but I'm saying our hymnals like, yeah. as, as a community thing. Um, so, you know, how you, I think how you can go about fixing that, though, is just like <laughs> slowly trimming down your options. Right. Yeah. Have. Yeah. And and I think there's a good in that. Like, I know these few songs very well. Um, same thing with the mass parts. Like, let's just let's just know this one so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I can, you know, the, the typical model at the churches is, you know, opening him offertory hymn, mm-hmm. communion hymn or two, closing hymn. Yeah. And you can kind of just see, every, and and what the, the, again, the documents on liturgy talk about it, the mass should be sung. Mm. Don't sing at mass. Don't sing, well, we'll sing this song and then we'll sing that song and, then, yeah. and we'll, we'll speak everything. It's like, no, the, the mass should be sung. And so we sing, we sing 
we sing basically. And and I think once you get that, like, wow, we have an intro and then we have a hymn and yeah. then I chant the opening dialogue and then yeah. we, we sing the Gloria and then we chant the opening prayer. And then we sit down, there's a little a time of reflection and hearing the, hearing the readings. And then, and then again, you know, to, to see it in this complete movement, this mm-hmm. orchestral uh, movement, uh, you start to see it as art mm-hmm. um, and a, a coherent picture not not disjointed sort of and i think that's what so many masses are they're it's it's so disjointed they're a little like okay here we sing here we listen here we give money here and it's not one it's not it's not an orchestral movement and and i mean i've talked to to pastors who are like well you know you know everybody has their own preferences so let's give them a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of that Um, and and they're also, I mean, we weren't we weren't trained in art mm-hmm. in seminary, you know. So unless that's unless a guy really takes that on himself, you know, we weren't trained in you know uh, what makes what makes a good painting a good painting or a good piece of music a good piece of music or you know um, a good architecture good architecture. We we don't know mm-hmm. that, and so if if you get there and like, well, this is, this is what I got. And this is the hymnal and here's the, here's the people. And, you know, this is, is let's just go with it rather than, you know, uh, being formed in the artistry of it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, I think my, you know, I'm a, I'm primarily a, a playwright, you know, and so I know how to tell a story and, and I look at the liturgy the same way, like, hey, let's tell, let's tell a story and let's, complete it's got to be complete and coherent i wouldn't throw in like this random scene that takes us to a a different you know or like hey let's do this part with you know you want it to be seamless and comprehensible and and um uh coherent and uh and then once we get to the to the documents of vatican ii and the other documents after vatican ii and like the art of of the liturgy um the the primacy of gregorian chant sacred music, polyphony, organ. Um, well now, now we're seeing, oh, we don't, I don't have to go with my preference or your preference or, you know, everybody else's preference. The church has a preference. Yes, that, <laughs> that. And we, we can conform our, church. right. And that we can conform ourselves to that and say, you know yeah. what, this, this, for this hour of my, of the many hours of my day, I'm going to listen to this type of music mm-hmm. and be formed in this, uh, uh, the way that it moves me in a gentle, transcendent, spiritual way, the way that it, it ushers in silence, the way that it draws me to to higher things. And gosh, that just makes me so excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like getting out of personal preference is such a relief. It's freeing. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, you don't have to rely on like what you like or other people. You do what the what the mother church says you yeah. know you you enter into what she thinks is best for your soul that's amazing we should do that all around uh, yeah and and maybe that's i mean that could be a whole nother podcast but i i've been pondering this recently the the we we want to control the liturgy yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> and the more we just say nope this is what's given to me and I'm going to let it control me. I'm going to, I want it to form me. I don't want to form it. I'm, I'm very creative. I have lots of ideas. You all, you all know that. Yeah, um, and I could come up with 
great ideas for the liturgy but if i just say oh this is this is what's given to me let's do this really really well and then it's done really really well it's beautiful beautiful and then people go to other parishes and think we have it the best at St. Max. And you know what? And that is, that's a great grace. I mean, we have had those compliments recently that, oh, I can't go to other churches now. I, I just miss that, what what we have at St. Max and, you know, worshiping in, in that way. And that's, that's good. And we just want to invite people and help them understand that, that this is the why. And the more we understand that, the more we can um delve be, deeper. yeah delve deeper and, and just be, be fed by that and rest in that. So good yeah. well thank you thank you for the conversation thank you for your your ministry here at st max it's a blessing to work with you, thank you. and i hope that's mutual it is <laughs> <laughs> all right god bless everybody thanks for tuning in